Dear friends, welcome back to Sporty Talks. This podcast is supported by Banca Transylvania. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Sporty Talks, or you can find all episodes on my social media, Virgil Stanescu, Instagram and Facebook, or on my webpage, virgilstanescu.ro. There you can find all the talks with these wonderful people that I had a chance to interview, to talk, to take some ideas. They're people that inspire me. They're people that throughout their um, process of performance or transition, or they bring different lights to sports, to ideas, to um, youth being models in this world. Today is no exception. Today, my guest is one of the greatest speakers that I had the chance, the chance of interviewing. He's been invited to World Economic Forum, to United Nations, to Davos, to some of the greatest uh, educational programs like Harvard, Yale, Oxford, Stanford, London Business School. He is a best-selling author. Uh, we talked about priorities, human priorities, sports, how sports influence people, why sport is so important, the comfort zone. Is that uh, a necessary thing to be, in, to be uncomfortable? How you deal with happiness? Uh, all these great topics. I had a chance to talk with this person, a yogi, a visionary, a poet. Ladies and gentlemen, Sadhguru. First of all, Binat, Benito Romania, Sadhguru. Welcome to Romania, Sadhguru. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. And uh, we, we take pride in, or we took pride in our soil. We did. We, uh, throughout, the, the, throughout time, we thought that, you know, we're farmers, we're people that actually, you know, are so rich because of the soil in Romania. Tell us a little bit. You just breathe in with, with the motorcycle. Tell us a little bit about what you expect in Romania. Namaskaram and good morning to all of you. Say, uh, there are many, many issues in the world. Everybody takes up something or the other. But all these other issues are like, suppose you take a human being, let's say you have five different health issues, you have a cardiologist looking at your heart, you have another specialist looking at your liver, kidney, another one, another one for different things. But to make all this work meaningful, first thing is you must keep the person alive. Only if the person is alive, all the experts can work on various aspects. Right now, that's where we are. We are not understanding everything that we know as life, from a worm to insect to a tree to a bird to an animal to human beings. Everything comes from soil. Your body is soil, the clothes that you wear is soil, the furniture that you sit on is soil. Everything is from the earth and the soil. But unfortunately, we have forgotten that. All that you know as life on this planet is soil. So if you do not tend to that, right now fifty-two percent of the world's soil is considered degraded. In the last twenty-five years, the desertification or 
ten percent of the world's land has been turned into desert. In twenty-five years, ten percent. In Romania, nearly thirty percent is under desertification. So, if we don't tend to this now, it'll go out of our hand because right now, according to UNFAO, the loss of biodiversity is at such a pace that twenty-seven thousand species are going extinct per year, every year. Yes, you heard it right. Twenty-seven thousand species, not organisms or creatures, twenty-seven thousand species are going extinct per year. At this rate, in another thirty to thirty-five years, we will reach a point where even if we want to regenerate the soil, we will not be able to do it. It will be extremely hard or it will become impossible. We are getting there in another thirty years' time. So, right now we are in a cusp of time, we as a generation of people, if we act now, in the next ten to fifteen years, we can make a significant turnaround. This is very much possible. So, we as a generation have this opportunity either to be that generation which turned back from the brink of a disaster or that generation which slept through and fell over and then grieve over it. As it's been the uh, unfortunate habit of human beings, to walk into disasters and then grieve over it. How many times have we vowed in this world, after a terrible war that we see, we will say, we will never again fight another war. And in the last hundred years, how many have we fought across the world? Because this has been the unfortunate habit, walk into the disaster, then cry over it. But this disaster is that kind, if you walk into it, you will have no place to cry because this will affect the entire world in such a way, it will turn civilizations upside down. Right now, uh, World Food Programme is predicting by 2035, there'll be dozens of civil wars across the world because of food shortages. So, this is something we have to attend to. This is something we have to turn it around. And it doesn't take any great technology, nor does it take any great amount of financial outlays. It just needs a focused, determined approach, a commitment to turn it around. This is all that is needed. And this can be done only by the governments without enshrining it in the policy. If you do something wonderful with your land and I do something wonderful with my land, there is no guarantee after twenty-five years somebody will keep it the same way, they'll turn it back. Like there is a law in urban land, suppose you have ten thousand square feet of land in the city, you cannot build ten thousand square feet of building. You... they allow you to build six or seven thousand, whatever is the local law. But if you have hundred acres of agricultural land, you can plow every inch of it, turn it into a desert in the next ten years. Nobody will ask you, why have you done this? Because there's no law against it. It's time laws come. Right now, the farmer's economy is so fragile, so the laws have to come with strong incentives. Only then we will be able to turn it around. This is what we're pitching for. As a part of this, we have prepared 192 unique documents for every nation, 192 nations, based on the latitudinal position of the nation, the soil types which exist there, the economic conditions of a given nation, and also the agricultural traditions, because even if you have all the signs, you cannot turn the agricultural traditions of the land overnight. You have to work with that. So, based on this, we have made these documents which we will be offering to every government in the world. And also, I am addressing COP15 where 197 nations are participating.
I'm sure Romania also, somebody will be coming there. We are hoping to meet them today. And uh, in the COP15, the main agenda is soil this time. But government can... can governments can change that. But you took it upon yourself um, to... to <laughs> embark on this journey to let people know more than, than instant gratification, because it's a problem of future. And it's so hard to talk about something like that, because people won't, you know, they, when, when you tell people generally 30 years from now, like, you know, we have all the time in the world. And, and it's, it, is, that a, is that something that you, you receive as a feedback in your journey now, that people actually, like, make a change? Oh. And how can we do that? Significant level of enthusiasm. Almost every nation we've been to, every nation we've been to till now, I think this is the 13th or 14th nation I'm in, I've forgotten the numbers. But <laughs> uh, the response from the people has been nothing short of spectacular. The heads of state have been avoiding us citing war, but agricultural ministers and environment ministers in every nation have been meeting us, and they're very, very positive about this. See, what I realized in the last two years of meeting uh, various agricultural and environment ministers, bureaucrats, scientists across the world, what I realized was, everybody who is in some position of power or responsibility, they all know the problem, they know how serious the problem is, and they know generally what is the direction of the solution. So I realized everybody knows the problem, everybody knows the solution, They've just been waiting for an idiot who will bell the cat. So I thought, here I am. <laughs> see, when, when people see you as an idiot, you can't make a mistake, you know. <laughs> That's an advantage. <laughs> um, we, we have a group of people. In CEO clubs, it's a, it's a group of leaders. And let's, let's talk about, uh, about how can we impact that and send this message or any message um, further. And because... Reading about you and getting to know about you, it's that humanistic approach. And I think leadership now is that. It's humanistic approach. And how we can do that, you know, to help others understand the problems like this or any type of problems. See, as I said, everybody understands the problem. They're expecting someone else to fix it. That's all. Okay? I want you to know there is no one else, just you and me. This is our time, we are the people here. There is no one else to fix this. Hello? You think there is someone else to fix it? Somebody from some other planet will come and fix it for you? This is our problem, we need to fix it. Every one of us, knowingly or unknowingly, are partners in this destruction. And we just have to become partners in the solution, that's all it is. This is not you versus me. Why these questions come up is, because whenever you say environment, whenever you say ecology, everybody is looking whose face shall we bash? Shall we hit the oil industry? Shall we hit the automobile industry? Shall we hit this guy, that guy? No, every one of us are partners in the destruction, there is no question about it. As you sit here, this is not even for light, this is for decoration. These little lights that are burning, that means something is burning somewhere, whatever little things we enjoy. We are burning something somewhere, isn't it? Hello? Hello? The question is, I think you are burning more than me. Come on. 
this is not the way. We can always say, see, you are eating more than me, you are bigger. So we will blame you for all the ecological problems. This is just a silly way of approaching life. Stereotypes <laughs> I'm saying this is an extremely silly way of approaching life. You are eating more than me, so you are the ecological problem, not me. Okay, then you become a pygmy, so you will become less of an ecological problem. So this is silly that we think by hitting each other, people are just looking for a fight. They are not looking for a solution. Unfortunately, it has become like this. People ask me, Sadhguru, let's go to the schools and get all the children. I said, leave the children alone. Till they are fifteen years of age, let them not even know that there is a concern. It's very important. Let them grow up eating well, playing well, learning well. That's all they should do. Get them angry when they are young. You're poisoning their life early on. Everybody wants to instigate the children to come out on the streets and scream ugly things at the leaders. Do you know what it is to manage a country, however badly managed it is? In any country, do you know what… many of you are managing companies. Somebody may think you are having a great time because you're, uh, you… they see you driving in a shiny car. Do they know what it is, day in and day out, what it takes to manage a thousand people or ten thousand people? Hello? People don't know this. People who go to work at nine in the morning, come back five in the evening, they don't understand to manage something day in and day out what you have to do. Hello? Yes or no? So, to manage a nation, there are many problems. I am not trying to absolve all the politicians of all the problems that they might have created. But you must understand, when you elect a de democratically elected government, our business is to see for the next four or five years, what is your term? Four years or five years, your governments? Four. Four years. For the next four years, you are there to ensure they do the right things, not just to pull their leg all the time. I'm just seeing in every country, this is becoming a fashion. You elect them today and tomorrow morning you pull their legs. How are they supposed to work? If you are good citizens of this nation, you have not become a tribal warfare kind of people that I belong to this party or that party. Once people elect somebody, whether you like them or you don't like them, you must work with them to see that something significant happens in the country because this is what a democracy means. But unfortunately, we are going this way, leaving that aside about the ecological issue. See, there is nobody in the world who is in responsible positions who do not know about this. They know about this, but why they won't do it is because you've given them a term of four years. I heard in Romania it's four months for a lot of people. Hello? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, people are telling me. <laughs> and you just got in. <laughs> <laughs> so, four-year term you have given them. Suppose you are the… Pr what is it? Prime Minister, President? Prime Minister. Prime Minister. If you are made the Prime Minister of this country for four years, would you take policies and act actions which will yield results largely in four years' time? Or would you choose something that would yield results in twenty-five years' time? I'm asking you, be honest about this. You try to do things in four years' time. Unless people stand up and say, we are ready for a long-term solution, yes or no? In which country, 
in which country in this world have sixty percent of the population stood up and said, we are concerned about the long-term well-being of this nation, we are concerned about the future of future generations in this country, this, this, this must happen. In which country have sixty percent of the population spoken? Right now, this moment is about that. To move three to four billion people means there are 5.26 billion people who have franchise in the world. That means they can elect governments. We want three to four billion people to stand up and say they're concerned about the soil. If you do not express your concern, who, those who are in power, how do they know that they can invest time? What I have seen in the world, including in India and most of the states, if any leader takes long-term measures, next election he loses. Hello? Because everybody wants short-term trinkets. So it is time the citizens stand up and say, we are ready for long-term well-being of this nation. We are concerned about the future of our children. You have to say this. Without saying this, how will any government act? Sadhguru, uh, I, I heard you say about the, the fighting between, you know, left and right. And this probably has been... It is a period with polarized everything. It takes two Black wings to fly. White. It takes two Women wings to men. fly. You can't fly with left wing or right wing, all right? <laughs> but how you understand that? Because because we we are going through bias of um, virus of uh, I don't know this and that and uh, women and men and black and, and LGBT and everything else and and it's just you know so much noise. See, if you don't learn to ignore the noise, you cannot live in the world. All right. People make noise. Today they have many more tools to make noise. They have social media. Any... any idiot sitting at home who has never done anything in his life can talk, all right? There are a whole lot of very perfect... There are a whole lot of very perfect human beings in the world. They never made a mistake in their life because they never did anything. There are such people. But it, it's... it's also noise inside our heads. That's... that is the important thing. That's why you need inner engineering that <laughs> who you are is not determined by the noise that's happening around you, nor the noise that happens within you. If you... see, we have invested too much in conquering the world. Our conquest is becoming disastrous. But people have not taken charge of their simple faculties. If you... if your thought... if your thought happened just the way you want, just show me you're a basketball player, I'm sure your limbs move just the way you want. You're an athlete, all right? That's why. See, you That's become right. an athlete because your limbs move more the way you want than somebody walking on the street. That's all it is, isn't it? Your limbs follow instructions better than the man who is walking on the street, so you become an athlete. Now I'm asking you, suppose your hand started beating you in the face, what is the solution? I've never happened. <laughs> I don't know. If it did, what is the solution? Just stop. You, you... you have to just stop. If you can't stop, what? We'll have to tie down your hand. If you... if that also doesn't work, what to do? We'll have to chop off your hand because otherwise you'll kill yourself. <laughs> right now, this is what is happening. If I ask you a simple question, would you want your intelligence to be sharp or blunt? You must all choose, I'm going to bless you right now. <laughs> sharp or blunt? Sharp. So if I give you a sharp instrument, if you keep poking yourself, then one thing is either we have to take away the knife 
or tie up the hand. Something drastic has to be done, unfortunately. So right now, this is all your problem is. People think there are many problems. The problem is just this, your own intelligence is working against you and you think somebody is poking you. People come to me and say, Sadhguru, my mother-in-law, she is so terrible, my boss is not even human, my husband, oof, after all he is her son and my wife, impossible. I say, you come to the yoga center, no boss, no mother-in-law, no husband, no wife, you just stay here. I'll give you good food and a nice place to stay. You don't have to do anything, just be joyful, because none of them there are there, you just be joyful. Once in a way, I will make a random check. If I find you miserable, I don't believe in feeding misery, we will stop feeding you on that day. If you're joyful, for the rest of your life I'll feed you and take care of you, don't worry about your life, I will take care of everything for you. Oh, two days you leave them in that room, you go and check, they've twisted them out, themselves out in so many ways, nobody here, just themselves. See, when you're alone, if you're miserable, obviously you're in bad company. <laughs> if you don't fix that company, then you think the whole world is bothering you. No, you have not fixed this company. That's a lot of work. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, that depends how much of a mess you made out of it. <laughs> but we, all this, all this happens in a crazy rhythm today. And uh, it's, you, you're just reactive all the time because, you know, everything happens and you need to learn what happened to find a solution and even things happen <laughs> and, and, and the, everything moves fast. When you have time to just... You know, what is what is your species called? Your species? Human. Just human? Virgils. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's my species. No, no, no. no, no. Uh, humans. Just humans? We uh, call you something more. We call you a human being. Human being. Yeah. Did you ever call a tiger a tiger being? <laughs> an ant an ant being? An elephant an elephant being? No. Only this one is human being because this one is supposed to know how to be. If you knew how to be, would you keep yourself blissful or miserable? What's your choice? Hello? Blissful, you must choose. Every time I ask you a question, you must choose, I'm going to bless you. Otherwise, you'll get blessed wrong. Blissful or miserable? Blissful. You... what you want for your neighbor may be debatable. What you want for yourself, is highest level of pleasantness, isn't it? It is. So when we say pleasantness, it's like this. If your body becomes pleasant, we call this health. If it becomes very pleasant, we call it pleasure. If your mind becomes pleasant, we call this peace. If it becomes very pleasant, we call this joy. If your emotions become pleasant, we call this love. If it becomes very pleasant, we call it compassion. If your very life energies become pleasant, we call this bliss. If it becomes very pleasant, we call it ecstasy. If your surroundings become pleasant, we call it success. Only to create pleasantness of your surroundings, we need the cooperation of all these people and many other forces. But to create pleasantness of the body, mind, emotion and energy is one hundred percent your business, isn't it so? Hello?
if you are feeling pleasant right now, you're feeling very joyful, let's say all these people, they are not, but let's say all these people are miserable, but you're joyful. You can do your best with these people only if you're joyful, isn't it? If you also join them, can you do anything with them? No. So the question is just this in the world, do you want to be a part of the problem or part of the solution? So many people have uh, all kinds of uh, noises in their head. So do you think by becoming a part of it, you're finding a solution? No. It's very important you change the narrative in the world that when you were a child, five-year-old child, you were bouncing with joy, hello? For nothing, for no reason, isn't it so? Somebody had to make you unhappy at that time. Today, somebody has to make you happy. When did the equation get reversed? Something we need to look at, hello? Because at the age of five, if you are so joyful, by the time you are thirty, you should have been ecstatic. But just the reverses happen for most people <laughs> because somewhere you did not learn to handle your own faculties. If your thought and your emotion happen the way you want, like your hands and legs are happening the way you want, if your thought and your emotions happen the way you want, would you keep yourself blissful or miserable? Blissful. Blissful. So essentially, suppose you are driving your car, if you turn the steering this way, it goes off this way, this car. Dangerous to be in this, isn't it? Such a thing happens, what's the first thing you do? Stop, isn't it? That's what you need to do. When your head, when your emotions, when your thoughts, when your faculties are not functioning the way you want, first thing is stop, otherwise you're going to crash somewhere. Sadhguru, I feel joyful now. But, <laughs> but through my career, being coming from a, a high-performance career of, <laughs> of sports, like you hear all the time that you need to get out of your comfort zone. In the comfort zone, it's not okay. You need to get out of the comfort zone to work hard. To, you just have to you know. spread the comfort zone all over. Like I'm comfortable on the motorcycle. People, right. yesterday somebody asking me, Sadhguru, at this age, how are you riding like this? I said, see, I've been living so intensely, I never had time to get old. It takes time to get old, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, see, instead of saying, why do you keep your comfort zone so narrow? Why don't you make it 360 degrees? <laughs> I, I need my coaches to hear that. Um, your coach badly needs to hear that, not just your coach, all the sports people. It is becoming like this, it's becoming like a war. I see sports people more tense than the soldiers in the battlefield. At least soldiers are looking at each other and smiling. I've seen, you know, they're aiming guns, but they're looking at each other, joking and smiling. It's a, you know, kill and be dead kind of business. Even their people are smiling, sports field. What are you doing? You're playing a damn game that you like to play. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the game is okay. The practice is the problem. Because, you know, you, I, I had a coach that was saying that if you think practice is boring, you should see how boring it is to stay on the bench in the game. So, you see, know, it those takes are all wise, wise words. I'm saying. Why either a practice or a game is boring or tense, 
is simply because you are playing it because you think you'll get money or fame or something. You're not playing it because you love the game. You must love the game, otherwise you'll go and play some other game. Yeah, you, you have to love the game, you're right. <laughs> um, and and I, I, I read what you said about sports. I have to do this. It's in, in kick and ball or playing a game, you are much closer to divine that you will ever be in prayer. <laughs> Is that presence? <laughs> no, I'm saying you uh, is Romania. Yeah, Romania is a footballing country, right? Yeah. I, I didn't say basketball because you, you, basketball is exclusive to people of certain stature. It's not made for me, so I don't like that game. Selected few. <laughs> <laughs> it's a prejudiced game only for tall people. <laughs> Very tall they must be. If you were nine feet tall, boom, boom, boom. Go stand there and put it in every time. <laughs> They're looking for these people. <laughs> so, uh, see, if you have to kick a ball right, a ball is an unprejudiced object. If you don't kick it right, it won't go right. You may think whatever you want. You can chant all kinds of mantra and kick it, but it'll go into the spectators. You need to kick it right, otherwise it won't work. That's all, it's as simple as that. So, prayer is not like that. You can be praying and attending to so many things. I've seen people doing prayer and beating their children on the way and abusing somebody on the way and still doing praying because prayer can be done with many distractions. But if you distract it for a moment, ball will go somewhere else. It won't listen. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I was in interaction with some celebrity in India. Uh, after one and a half hour of talking, the last question he asked is, Sadhguru, how to beat Pakistan in the cricket game? <laughs> so I say, hey, why do you want to beat Pakistan? All you have to do is hit the damn ball. <laughs> if you try to beat Pakistan, you <laughs> it won't work. You just have to hit the ball. It doesn't matter who the hell is bowling the ball, you must hit the ball and hit it where you want it. Instead of hitting the ball, you're working up all kinds of emotions. You want to beat this guy or that guy. Obviously, you won't play well. See, because why a game is important is, one thing is, you always enter this game wanting to win, which is very important. I want to lose, you can't play with that kind of people. Hello? <laughs> Can you play with somebody who comes there, I want to lose? You can't play with them. But if I lose, I'm okay with it. Somebody, if I lose, it's not okay. I'll shoot you if I lose. You can't play with that guy either. This is the beauty about the game. I really want to win. But if I lose, it's all right with me. This is a game. You must learn this with every aspect of life. Everything that you do, yes, you want to win. But if you lose, it's all right. Hello? Otherwise, you'll take yourself so seriously and make a mess out of yourself. So this is the fundamental of a game. This is the fundamental of life. I really want to win. I'll do everything possible to win, but if I lose, it's all right. If you don't have that, you can't live in this world because, you know, shall I reveal a secret to you, is it okay? All of yeah. you are actually dying sort of people, you know? <laughs> yes, you all die one day. I'll bless you with a long life, but you will die one day. Is that okay? Is that okay? You're all dying sort of people. So, if you're too much pumped up like this, you will be dying when you're living. You must die one day, but you shouldn't die every day.
It's very important. You must live. Now, when the time comes, you must die gracefully. Important, that is also. But if you die every day, because every day if you think you're losing, you're losing, you're losing something, this happens, you lose something, that happens, you lose something, you'll die every day. You don't lose anything because the only thing that you have, the only and only thing that you have is life. Rest is always your imagination. Have you ever been to a funeral? Have you seen anybody in the funeral? Yes. That guy is like this, you know, <laughs> proper position. You never got such a perfect position when you were alive. <laughs> like this he is. You tell him, here you have won the NBA, you have just won the NBA championship. He's not interested. You tell him, here there's a mountain of gold. He's not interested. You tell him whatever the hell you want. He's not interested. So I want you to understand, that's all it is. Once life is taken out of this, no goddamn thing means anything to you. Hello? Yes or no? So that's the only thing you have. The only and only thing you, that you have is life. And it's the greatest phenomena. You don't know how it happens. You do not know how it started. You can give all kinds of scientific explanations, but nobody knows how it is happening right now, isn't it? See, the thing is this, this cosmos, where it begins, where it ends, neither the religious people know, nor the scientists know. Yes or no? Hello? Yes. Only fools know <laughs> Neither religious people have an answer, where does it begin, where does it end, nor the scientists have an answer, where does it begin, where does it end. It's just immeasurable. In this expanse of cosmos, this solar system itself is a tiny speck. In that tiny speck, planet Earth is a micro speck. In that micro speck, Romania is a super micro speck. In that, Bucharest is a super, super micro speck. In that, you're a big man. <laughs> this is a serious problem. We have not understood the context of our existence. In the middle of nowhere, here we are sitting floating on a little mud ball and talking all this stuff. We have no context as to who we are, what we are in this existence. If you knew, if you're aware that you're sitting here, not knowing a damn thing how this earth is flying around this sun and how this solar system is flying around in this cosmos, we don't know where the hell it is going. Is the driver in control or is it just like you? Passenger. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying nobody has a clue. People can believe all kinds of things they want, explain all kinds of things, but do you have a clue? No. And in this, we are complaining, I lost this game. Ah, come on. You're alive, that's the greatest blessing. Do the best that you can do in whatever the hell you do and that's about it <laughs> This podcast is powered by MasterCard. Right, but in, in our spec, we're, we're alive in some other people's lives as well, not only in our life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, our kids, our teams, our people, how, you know, how you influence is too much, maybe. You don't, maybe raise, grow, I don't know, something, lead these people. How, you, you don't just live 
for your own life. You don't. You just, you know, <laughs> just been around a lot. See, uh, this is what I said. What can you do in your life? You can do the best that you can do. You cannot do the best. Nobody can do the best. The best I can do, I can do in my life. The best you can do, you can do in your life. So the only thing that you have to look at it is this. Everything that I can, am I doing or not? Because in our lives, if we do not do what we cannot do, it's not a problem. But in our lives, if we do not do what we can do, we are a disaster. I want to make sure nobody is such a disaster that what you can do, you did. What you cannot do, it's okay, what to do? You can't change the trajectory of the planet, so let's leave it as it's going. You like the weather, so shall we stop the planet at that place and keep it that way? No, it doesn't work like that. You let it go because that's not in your hands. What is in your hands, you must do, isn't it? So right now when we're talking about soil, this is very much within the grasp of this generation's activity and responsibility. This we must do. But if you come here after forty or fifty years, in that generation's hand it'll not be there. This is the significance of being here right now, that we can either be… use this privilege or be overwhelmed by the challenge. This is the choice we have. And you can only use this privilege, whether it's in a bas basketball game or in life, you can only use it if you're at ease. Playing a game if you're not at ease, what to do, how to send you to war? you're not always on ease. Hmm? I mean, you're, you're not always that… that calm, that… that peaceful, that a lot of things going on and a lot of questions going on and that wisdom of understanding things, it comes to us at some point or from… from this togetherness that it's… it's here as well. See, we are thinking uh, always you have to learn about life from a book or a person or from a school or a philosophy. I'm asking you, are you life? Yes. Are you? If I'm alive, yes. Right now I'm asking you. Yes, I'm present. Yes. You're, a, you're life, right? Yes. If you are life, why should you read about life? Because you tell me to, no, to no, think about because, tomorrow. Because you never ever came in touch with the life that you are. You're busy with your own psychological drama. Your own thought and emotion is keeping you occupied for a whole lifetime that never you experience the life that you are. If you experience the life that you are, does anybody have to teach you your life is this, life is that? We are life, isn't it? Yes. Then why are we trying to learn about life? There's nothing to learn about life. You have to live it and live it strong. But right now the problem is your psychological drama, your misunderstanding as existential reality. What you're doing in your head is entirely your business, you're doing it, right? Hello? No, no. Yes. You're always thinking, oh, she instigated this, oh, he instigated that. No, no, they are doing what they know best because you are functioning in reaction. Because you're not at a human being, 
you are not a conscious response. See, the significance of being human is just this. We and the animals are not any different. We are born, the same way they are also born. We eat, they eat, they, we grow up, they grow up, we reproduce, they reproduce, they die, we die. Everything that you are doing, animals are doing, isn't it? With much less fuss. Yes or no? We are doing it with a lot of fuss. But the significance of being human is, the same simple things that every creature does, we can do it consciously. The moment you do it consciously, it's a world of difference. So if we don't do it consciously, if you are in an instinctive, reactive state, well, you're denying yourself the evolutionary process. Because the evolution has only pushed you to a certain level in the sense. Today, DNA scientists are telling us that the difference between you and a chimpanzee is only, DNA-wise, is only 1.23%. 1.23% is not much of a difference, isn't it? <laughs> so physiologically, that's how close we are. But in terms of our intelligence and awareness, we worlds apart from a chimpanzee. So if you do not exercise that, you will just fall back into reactive ways. So right now the problem is this, you have an intelligence for which you don't have a stable enough platform. So if you create a stable enough platform in terms of a stable physiology, a stable chemistry, a psych stable psychological platform, if you create this, then you will see suddenly being human is spectacular. You don't have to try to be a superhuman being. Being human is super. That is great. And at this time, I know we don't have a lot of time left, so I'll, uh, I'll take uh, one or two questions from the audience. Um, anybody I see right there? Radu? Um, you mentioned at the beginning about the disaster of... Uh, uh, that that is ahead of us 30, 40 years down the road. And we, we hear about disasters in education, in climate, in everywhere. It's, it's made by us, our species, the beings. Um, and yet, very few actually do something and they expect the others to do. What do you think? My personally, actually, uh, I personally believe that among the very few solutions is introducing uh, a different type of education in schools, meaning uh, aka social emotional education, which means kindness, compassion, responsibility training, hoping that 20, 30 years down the road will be different type of adults. This is among the very few solutions I, I find. You're given up on the adults then. <laughs> I'm sorry? You're given up on the adults here. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm not, not giving up, but I see that is very little chance if we don't do it something on the long run. And what do you think? For me, I, I couldn't find other solution than working on a different model of adult. Uh, I think if you try to teach a responsibility and this and that to children, all that will happen is they'll end up hating you. Have you noticed this? Those of you who have raised children, when you try to tell them that they are responsible for this and that, they just end up hating you. Hello? Because that's what will happen. The only way you can fix the future generation is by transforming ourselves. If we do not set an example, if there is no example of responsible behavior, if there's no example of uh, 
being an embodiment of joy and love around them, you talking about those things will... Whoever is willing to learn about love and compassion from a school teacher, come on. No, I'm saying, were you ready, anybody? When you were in school, would you listen to lessons about love and compassion from your uh, English teacher or physics teacher? Huh? You can say, why not for argument, but were you ready at that time, I'm asking? Really, you were? Well, I was not <laughs> I don't think most children are. Okay, please, a microphone. The cruelest societies in the world have evolved out of too much of moral teaching, you must know this. Sanguru, please, could you comment a little bit about saving soil in Ukraine now? See, we, we just like this all the time. If we... if we address this problem, we'll say, what about that? If we talk about this person has a cancer, then you say, what about his hair growth? Please don't do this. You're talking about Ukraine. Essentially, you're talking about war, not about Ukraine, all right? Tell me in the last hundred years, how many wars have we fought in this world? You can't count. Most of you cannot count how many wars, isn't it? So when is it that human beings have not been fighting wars? What is new about it? I'm not saying war is a thing that we must accept. I'm saying, how do you allow this to happen forever? And how do you believe then when people are advertising openly, we have the smartest bombs in the world, we can put it from two miles up in the air, we can put it through your window and blast your family. When they're advertising like this, did you think they're making all these bombs for entertainment? Hello? Do you think all the military weaponry in the world all the fancy, flashy weaponry that's being built is being built as uh, some kind of entertainment or artwork for you to see and enjoy? You don't know that you'll be used someday? If... if I'm manufacturing guns and bullets, if I give it to you, I expect you to use it, come on. Otherwise, how is my business going? So I'm saying, we are blind to everything, suddenly when it hits our neighborhood, we are suddenly august. Why were we not august all the time? Because if you don't respond as human beings, if you only respond as a certain group of people, you will not find solution because other group will do something else. It is time your humanity plays, not your nationality, not your race, not your religion. Your humanity should play because the world has come to that level of competence. If our humanity is not the main force, we will destroy each other. That's all that'll happen. We have time for one more question. Sadhguru, thank you very much for the inspirational chat. Um, I was thinking, listening to you, that probably life is a system of... Uh, or defined a lot by scarcity and by uh, the lack of permanence of a lot of aspects, right? Um, and I was drawing a parallel with the um, example that you made around politicians having a short amount of time to actually engender change. So, would you say that we have a problem around the incentives that govern our life and the forces that impact us in order to actually make the change that we want to make? Because I think everybody wants to make this change, right? And we understand it, we see the problem, but then there's a lot of forces that kind of 
immediately put us off track somehow. See, uh, yes, that is that's very much the issue. That's a diagnosis, but the treatment <laughs> is the question. <laughs> exactly. What would you suggest? Yes. See, this is what it takes. If you want long-term well-being of humanity, then it's important that we have relentless commitment towards that. I've been talking about soil for the last thirty years. Everybody says, Sadhguru, what you're doing is fantastic, Sadhguru, this is really nice, and they'll go to sleep. It, it's as if they came from somewhere else, as if they're growing food on moon or Mars and they're okay. So, now people ask, Sadhguru, why are you risking your life on the motorcycle like this? No, no, you should not be doing that. I said, otherwise you idiots won't wake up. I have been talking about it for thirty years, manifesting this in the… you know, as a large-scale demonstration to show how you can do agriculture, how you can regenerate soil, but no. So now, you just see in the last four months, how many governments are talking about soil, just look at this simply because we've raised the pitch. So, it needs relentless commitment, otherwise there are no solutions for large-scale issues. Like uh, uh, our respected gentleman uh, right now pointed out, but there is Ukraine. Now, European Union was just about to announce their soil ecology and biodiversity policy just about two weeks ago. And they postponed it by two years, citing Ukraine. I'm asking you, when did you have two years in this damn world when there was no war? Two years postponement of biodiversity policy because there is a war. But where was two years since 1944? Where has been two years when there was no war in this world? Postpone it by three months, you are engaged with something, there are some problems and issues that governments have to handle right now. There's a refugee influx, there is issues. Three months, maybe six months, two years is too much, isn't it? I'm saying we've been distracting ourselves from main issues forever like this. It's time people, the citizens say, it's all right, there is a war, we know there's a problem, human beings are suffering. But if you... this is like, as I said, I used a very frivolous example. Let us say, your uh, finger is broken, very painful, it needs to be attended to, no question about it. But you have cancer, tell me which is more important to be cured right now? Broken finger, without one finger you can live, isn't it? But with cancer you cannot live. Right now, this is the state of the world, that right now we have something fermenting beneath our feet which could be such a huge thing. When, when I don't say such a huge thing, probably you don't understand. Let me put it this way. By 2032, it is expected 3.5 billion people will be water stressed. That means they will not have their daily water to drink, there will be a challenge. There was a time thousand years ago or even 500 years ago, if they had no water, they just sat there and died. Now there is transportation, there is communication. You think people will just sit where they are and die? they will move. It is expected by 2032, 1.2 billion people will migrate. When they migrate, you worry, where will they come? Will they come to my country? Yes, of course, wherever land is good, wherever there is water, they will come there. 
when billion people move, you think your police or your army can stop it? There is no way you can stop it. 1.2 billion people are about to migrate because of water stress and food stress. Right now, you're talking about Ukraine. Your problem is your food prices are going up. Well, it's gone up 30%, I believe. It could go up 100% in the next three months if the war continues. If it doesn't stop, if somebody doesn't negotiate, if some people keep abusing each other, the war will continue. Somebody has to sit down and talk some sense and bring it to an end. The question is not about whose fault it is. God damn it, stop it somehow. Hello? If you want to stop it, you need to talk to each other. I'm not saying this is the way or that is the way, I'm not taking a political stance. But as a human being, I would like to stop any goddamn war that's happening anywhere in the world, not just in any one place. So if that has to happen, people in the region must do whatever they have to do, rather than, you know, going on uh, saying, I'm right, you're wrong. See, when two people fight, even if two individuals fight, both of them hundred percent believe they're right. That is why they're fighting, isn't it? Hello? If you don't understand the simple mechanics of human beings, you're fighting with somebody, risking your life because you think you're right and he also thinks he's right. So when both of us are thinking we are right, we need to sit down and calm ourselves and talk something that will not destroy lands and people in thousands or in millions, whatever it happens. But now, in this context, at least in two if not two dozen, at least in about fifteen nations in the world, there are going to be famines in the coming year because you guys will buy food at hundred percent more price. You can afford to do it. You… you will have to do less other things, but you will eat. But there are many people which, who will not eat. In nearly fifteen nations, there will be serious starvation because you're going to buy that food. What do you do for them? So I'm worried about them. I don't care if you pay double the price, but you're still eating. But they are not eating. That is a big situation, isn't it? So I'm not saying I'm not concerned about your economy, your life and your lifestyle. I am. But when people are dying without food, you think they will just stay there and be calm and quiet? Will it happen? When there are food shortages, your civilizations will collapse within few days. If fifty percent of the people have not eaten in this city, you think you can go about in a civilized manner? I'm asking you. Your very humanity will evaporate, I'm telling you, if you have not eaten for three days. So, we are driving the world in that direction, but we always want to distract ourselves with this and that. This is why I'm saying sixty percent of the world's population must stand up and clearly say, we are concerned about the soil, let's see what to do. For this, you don't have to stop your life, all you have to do is bring in certain incentives. Let me articulate this properly because all of you are business people. This is a three-level incentive program for the farmer. Because farmer's economy is so fragile, if you touch it, it'll collapse. It's in that state. Highest number of suicides on the planet is among the farmers, if you don't know this. Over nearly half a million people have committed suicide in the last twenty-five years in the farming community across the world because of degenerated soils. It's heartbreaking to work in those soils. So, it all worked well for about twenty, twenty-five years. When you put fertilizers, everything came up. As the organic content gets lower and lower, it's becoming harder and harder, and the input cost is going up on a yearly basis. It's almost becoming impossible to make any money out of that. 
So, one thing is the government sets up an incentive. Right now, I've been talking to various officials in the EU. See, they're making this biodiversity plan so complex that it'll be extremely difficult to implement, if not impossible. Because right now, you're linking the soil organic content to fertilizer usage, pesticide usage, herbicide usage. If you take away all pesticides, herbicides, everything today, our food production will come to twenty-five percent of what it is right now. That will be the great, greatest disaster you'll unfold. So, do not link it to that because I have been on the farms, I've worked with millions of farmers. What applies to his land will not apply to my land, though we are adjacent. How much fertilizer he needs to apply, how much I need to apply is different. How much pesticide he needs to apply, how much I should apply is different. Somebody sitting in the country's near capital cannot simply say, this is how much you must use. All I'm saying, make this very simple so that it's implementable. Please, all of you should understand this very clearly so that you can articulate this wherever you are. All I'm saying is, raise the organic content to minimum three to six percent. Three percent is the lowest threshold. Right now in Romania, as I said, it's around three point... I mean, 1.35 or 1.4 percent. So you set up an incentive. If you... if a farmer gets it to three percent, he gets a certain amount of money, give him time. In two years' time or three years' time, if you get your organic content to three percent, this is the incentive you get. If the incentive is attractive enough, most farmers will go for it. Those who don't go for it, there's another way later on, but we will see. Most farmers will go for it if the incentive is attractive. Once it gets to three percent, this much organic content he put in the soil, for this all of you businesses should get in and make sure he gets the carbon credit benefit. So this is the second level of incentive. The third level of incentive is, let's say I have a field which is three percent organic content and I produce an apple. So, give me a different shelf in the shopping place. Right now, in the shop, there is an apple which says it's organic. You don't know what it has. There's another apple. What is that? Is it inorganic? I'm asking. Now, I'm saying these are just marketing terms. We're just being fooled by these things. You say, my apple comes from three percent organic content field. For this, there is already enough science. If there is three percent organic content, what are all the extra micronutrients which are present in this apple? What are all the health benefits you will get? What are all the he preventive health benefits you will get? In what ways the nation will benefit by spending less on the health care? And instead of eating five apples, you can eat one apple. That's the difference it makes. Now his field has six percent organic content. He puts up his apple above my apple and says, my apple comes from six percent organic content. Now we know what are the nutritional value, what is the health benefit, what is the preventive health benefit, what is the benefit for the country. So you put him up on a different shelf. So three levels of incentives will happen to the farmer in the next few years as an economic policy, it'll work. Right now you're linking it to... you say, you must reduce the fertilizer usage. You do not know the condition of my soil. You just tell me reduce it, my production will drop, then what will I do? I will buy spurious stuff. You must understand, as there is... the moment you ban something, you will see a parallel industry will come up everywhere. Hello? Mafias will grow. Yes or no? Now, if you say you must use only this much pesticide, 
and my field is eating up by insects, you think I will just keep quiet? I will buy it in the black market somewhere, some other spurious pesticide on which there is no control of any kind, it may be the deadliest thing, but I will use it because I want the crop. Because I want my apple to look good, I don't care if you die. Hello, please understand, this is the world you're living in. Because I want that many apples on the… in the marketplace. What is in it is your problem. And you're not going to die, I know. A little bit, maybe you'll get some cancer, something. It's all right, after all, what is there… what is the medical care for? I'm saying, unfortunately, we are running the world like this. We are running the world like this, isn't it? So instead of that, you fix this, only the organic content, de-link it with other things. Because as the organic content goes up, my usage of fertilizer will naturally start sliding down. Why will I spend on the fertilizer when my crop is coming up well with less of fertilizer? But do not talk about getting rid of fertilizers, getting rid of pesticides, because you don't understand a damn thing about farming to say that. You do not. Anybody who says we will do it without pesticide, without fertilizer, they are growing a kitchen garden. In your kitchen garden, it'll work. You will not produce food for eight billion people by doing such things. I'm sorry if I sound offensive to you. But that's a reality. If we don't address this reality and urban people go on talking about how to do farming, it's going to be a disaster. Urban people should just shut up and influence the policy because you have the power to do that. People who live on the farm, let them do the farming as it works. Only thing is, ensure that the soil is alive for future generations also. This is the only thing. Thank Thank you for this, Sadhguru, and um, I take the joy of having you here as really it's been inspiring to me and I'm sure to to everybody in uh, in the room and whoever sees this. I wish I'd met you when you were in the professional game. I, I can still play, you know. <laughs> I can still play, you know. Um, I, I wish we would have time for more questions, but we don't. And I know uh, your schedule is tight. So thank you, Sadhguru, for... Uh, for your presence here and for your efforts of, you know, doing things that not many of if us... If I can say one thing, okay? Please. So the important thing is right now, we want to move three to four billion people before we address the COP15, where we are addressing 197 nations. I'm telling you, we have primed up most of the governments. Commonwealth nations are with us, which are 54 in number. CARICOM nations are with us, about 11 of them and about six to eight South American nations are with us. Together, we have about seventy-two, seventy-three nations already confirmed on this agricultural policy. EU is in the direction, but they're complicating things by involving fertilizer and uh, pesticide, other things. It takes a little bit of push from all of you to convince them, at least you're in national policy, you can definitely influence, because for practical implementation, it has to be simple, otherwise large-scale policies will never become reality. They will be just in paper. As I was talking to the top scientists in Rome, uh, you know, they've spent their lifetime on soil sciences. So I said, see, about four months ago I spoke to them and I said, see, I'm in this moment, your life's work, you've invested your life, but I'm going to make it not simple, I'm going to make it simplistic, is it okay with you? In one voice, they said, Sadhguru, simplistic is the way forward. 
we have reams and reams of research that even universities have not opened and read. Forget about ordinary people, even academics are not reading this research because it runs into thousands and thousands of pages of research. So science is already there, it's action that is needed. For action, no democratic government will really act unless people stand up and say, we are concerned about this and it must be at least sixty percent of the population. Only then action will come forth. Please make that happen. I would like to hear the voice of Romania across the world. If you do that, I will come and conduct a spiritual program for you in Bucharest. <laughs>